Good morning and welcome to the Reliably Well podcast, a podcast for medical professionals looking for insight into ways to be more effective for their patients and communities by making sure they are caring for themselves first and thriving in their lives. Welcome. My name is Sam Peters and this is the Reliably Well podcast. I'm here with Dr. Johnsey and Dr. Abraham and we're going to be talking about the gap between between what clinicians do and what clinicians would be doing if they were clinicians. That might sound absurd, but let's think about it for a second. And I guess to pull in with an analogy real quickly, maybe not an analogy, uh, an example. When I was younger, I used to work at a, a garage to do oil changes. I wanted to be a mechanic. All I did was do oil changes and clean this truck because we had a rental truck. And I realized there was a difference between being a mechanic or there was a difference between putting myself out there as a mechanic and actually being a mechanic, which is, you know, putting a turbocharger on a car and doing the really fun stuff in the engine. I would think that there's something similar with a clinician. A clinician may want to go to medical school to help heal patients and when they do get to the hospital what they are doing is not what they thought they were going to be doing so dr abraham what are the aspirations of a physician and is there a gap between what a clinician does and what a clinician would be doing if they were really a clinician yeah, so I'll uh, take the fall for the philosophical bent of this uh, podcast because I gave an article to Sam um, a couple weeks ago, and I'll give a little bit of a prelude so that if that if you're still not quite with us, maybe you'll catch up here. Um, Far Kurland is a um, palliative care physician at Duke University. In 2012, he was asked to give an address to the Library of Congress talking about lifelessness and work or burnout, the term that we hear all the time in work. Um, And in this talk, he suggested that the sources of burnout um, kind of came, uh, really should be thought of in this idea or concept of irony. And when we say irony, we don't, we're not talking about the sarcasm uh, that we use to create distance from kind of our convictions and almost a self-defense mechanism. But when he uses the term, it's actually naming the experience of a gap. And this gap is between what you actually do at work every day with your hands and with your speech and with what you're um, just doing on a day-to-day basis. And then the gap between that and what you would be doing if you were to become the worker you were trying to be. And here's a quote uh, from that talk. It says, in this ironic moment, my practical knowledge is disrupted. I can no longer say in any detail what the requirements of medicine consist in. I can no longer make sense of myself to myself, and thus I've lost a sense of what it means to be a physician, as I can no longer make sense of the gap between what I aspired to and what I have been up to. So this idea that in my medical school personal statement, I, I talked about um, being a doctor to help restore and bring shalom in communities. And then you get into the real world and I write a bunch of notes all day. 
And that gap that I think some people label as burnout, but that gap I really is what for Curlin calls an ironic moment. This moment of, I really can't make sense of what I'm up to because it's not what I thought it was going to be. And I'm left feeling disrupted. Have you ever felt like that, Joe? Um, yeah, I mean, I think we, we've all experienced those times where we don't know why, what it is that we're doing, or, or maybe from my perspective, I haven't, I haven't been thoughtful enough to say, why is this not feel the way that I want it to feel? I am a, I am not a chemical engineer because I, I don't know that I had a great idea of what chemical engineers did before I went into doing that, but I can tell you once I was doing it, I was like, there's no, there's no feeling of accomplishment here. There is no, um, and I don't, I don't mean to, to criticize the field, uh, at all. I have, uh, my college roommate is very successful and, and, and wildly, uh, uh, enjoys, um, what he is, he's doing in that, in that realm. But for me, it never connected, um, at the end of the day that I felt like there was some sense of accomplishment. And I think that that's what um, is easy to get into. You see the same patient in the emergency department day after day after day, and there is nothing that you are doing that is changing their health. And so you do feel this, this futility um, of your, of your effort, which is not what any of us, we all thought, Oh, you know what? I'm going to be the guy who can walk into the room and diagnose whatever it is and reach inside of them and save their life. And all the kudos and backpats will come my way, uh, from, from doing that. And, and so there is, um, we, we do that with, with all of our heroes, whatever they are, if we, we want to be, uh, you know, the teacher, well, we're, you know, the stand by me guy, you know, we're not somebody who, well, I get to class on time and I teach kids and I go home to my family. No, 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 no. We, we, we have changed an inner city school from a failure to the glowing success. That's what we think ought to happen. And, and so maybe there's, there's some of the expectations we have to get into, uh, into control, but yeah, I, I, I've gone a long way around answering your question. Yes, I felt that way. I think it is the common, um, uh, I think it's a commonality in man, not just in medicine, that we we don't have a realistic sense of what we should be accomplishing day in and day out. Um, we have idolized, idealized what what ought to happen, and reality cannot uh, on an on an every moment analysis, meet up with that expectation. Uh, it can meet up to that expectation from time to time, but not in every single moment of of our career. And it's and it's so funny how that sneaks up on you, where you don't you're not even real. And what I really appreciated and why I shared this with Sam is that I feel like that oftentimes burnout or my being unwell, my lack of wellness, stems from well, my working conditions are bad or I'm working nights or I was a busy, you know, week on call and I'm just tired or had some patients die or, you know, had some complex things and felt insecure, you know, like all of these kind of external forces. 
But I think is what's so interesting about this is it's kind of this insidious, um, almost like in your own head that we that often we don't really understand what our expectations are of something, and then we enter into work, and then we look up and we're kind of frustrated. It's actually I'm you know I'm done with training. I'm actually working a lot less than I ever thought I was you know than I was. I'm actually compensated fairly for the work I'm doing. Um, I'm spending way more time with my family, but I'm I'm maybe more frustrated than I've ever been. And so to me, part of that, I think, is that gap in the expectations. Yeah, I, I think absolutely that's that's where so much of our disappointment uh, in life is. We um, So I, I just recently finished the book Happier, and I would certainly suggest it to uh, – um, to, to everyone. I think, I think he's, uh, um, tall Ben Shahar, uh, is the author. Uh, I think he's got a great, uh, perspective there. That's probably applicable well outside of, of medicine, but he kind of groups people into four classes, um, in, in three that we would accept. And then the fourth, which is, which is new, but the, the rat racer, uh, is one always looking for the next goal that they would get to, and that to give them happiness. Um, the the hedonist who would just do whatever today that makes them feel good and and not worry about tomorrow. And then the nihilist who says, "I'm never going to be be happy." I think that is what um, uh, folks in medicine wind up evolving to. We are the rat racer throughout our existence from kindergarten on and then when we get to what we have been planning for since you know at least we entered high school uh, for 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 most folks to become physician to become healer to become Marcus Welby or uh, Mark Green or um, uh, uh, Patch Adams or whoever our 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 idolized, medical hero uh, is to get to that point and then once we do it the the we've got the letters after our name and and we get there and we see the reality of what it is that there are a lot of people that we will never impact positively despite the knowledge that we have or we will find out boy I thought I had learned a whole lot and now there's this so much more that I don't know um, that um, that shoves us into uh, now I'm not getting the satisfaction out of what I've dedicated all my life to. And so maybe there is no way to feel happy or contented in my, in my effort. So we become this nihilist uh, or burned out uh, is the, the term that we give. So it's not me so much. It's the world round about me uh, that's causing the moral injury or the burnout or whatever we want to term it as. Um, but he would propose the idea that we can be happier. We can both look towards the future, but also feel um, joy and contentment by what we do and, and meaning in what we do each and every day. And I think it does require that we narrow down our vision a whole lot more instead of seeing the whole scope of humanity um I get the most satisfaction out of my work and it has taken a while before I got there by having the positive encounter with the individual. Um, whether that's another clinician that I have that positive encounter with uh, to try and, and, and give them. Um, I remember telling 
uh, a paramedic about giving a patient uh, uh, a drug for angioedema, TXA for angioedema, and they give it a lot for bleeding, and 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 it was just very. He was so. I never heard anything about it. It's great, you know. He was. He was so. It was impactful to him to to be thinking about some other treatment, and in that, those are those are huge wins um, when we look at them the right way, instead of focusing so much on this delta between this idolized vision and what day in and day out is. You know, let's look for the for the high points in each and every day that we do have, uh, and start appreciating those instead of uh, bemoaning the, the deficits that we have. And I think that that, <clears throat> that happier book pairs so perfectly with kind of what Curlin talks about, the importance of naming these ironic moments, not, not necessarily doing anything about them immediately, but just naming them, right? Um, and that this, that this process is both vital and counterintuitive. He, he talks about how it, it, these moments, when, you're, when you become aware of them, they kind of call you to a halt and then they spur you on. And this is what he says in the talk. He says that irony calls me to a halt, but it also spurs me on. It calls me to a halt because it reminds me that I've not yet gotten the hang of being a physician. It spurs me on because it affirms for me and lures me toward the possibility that I could become the physician I'm not sure how to become. It's just beautiful. I feel like this humility in thinking about this is, sure, you could get really frustrated and, you know, throw your papers and slam your stethoscope and be just, you know, when you reach that point of feeling like that you have nothing left in the tank, or you could name this for what it is and realize like, you know, I think there's a reason they call this practice <laughs> and that that you really have to continue to get the hang of it. And maybe you're, you know, you go to work in a different health system or maybe you do some telehealth or maybe, you know, um, who knows what your career is going to wind up looking like. We should do a podcast on what you thought your career was going to look like and then what it actually looks like. That would be um, really interesting. But, but just this idea that we can all continue to be in process, you know, just because we get the letters behind our name or the credential or the fellowship or whatever it is, um, we're still in process. We're still learning how to become this physician that we've always wanted to be. Um, and it's okay that there's a gap there. Um, and, uh, you know, like maybe I think that what Curlin is suggesting is this idea that um, maybe the antidote to this lifelessness in our work is the admission that our that our work is always a work in progress, and we're and we never arrive. I I think absolutely. I think I think also lowering those expectations of perfection of of completion of uh, you know Marcus Welby or House or whoever else they we we saw all their perfect times, but we saw them once a week. Um, they had, you know, in, in, if they were a real person, they had shifts four other days out of the week, or they were, they were working, they were on call. There were plenty of times where they woke up half asleep and didn't make the right call. So that idea that we are perfect in every situation that we know the answer all the time is not, 
is not reality. So I think that 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 resetting that and resetting that expectation is huge. And I think if we're honest with ourselves, while medical school and in learning is is challenging, if if we are truly learning something, it is always an effort. But we enjoyed that effort. Um, maybe some of it because it gave us an accomplishment, but also learning the insights and the and the the different ways that the human body um, can 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 go wrong and how to make it go right again. Those are those are um, those are good positive. Uh, they 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 gave you a lot of um, positive feedback, and and I think that for the average physician we tend to stop most of our learning uh, whenever we leave um, residency. And we may have turned off a lot of the things that are very um, very edifying out of the practice of learning something new because it changes. If 2020 didn't show us uh, anything else, it showed us that medicine can change. It can change from week to week. Um, especially when something new has come along. And I think a lot of people, while it was, I, I don't mean to dismiss the, um, the physical challenge that, that COVID and the pandemic have been, but that idea of, oh, there's a new way to, to treat this, this illness and people reading and being engaged and sharing ideas and, 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 and spreading that across at least the organizations that I'm close to, that has had a lot of positive benefits. And so we shouldn't let that only happen whenever we have a once-in-a-century pandemic occur. It's something that we should engage in and help ourselves become the better clinician tomorrow than we were today. We are evolving. It is a journey. It is not a destination. Right, and this idea that it did, that we don't need a um, you know a novel respiratory viral pandemic or um, you know a really fun trauma and procedurally oriented case for the emergency medicine physician or the fever of unknown origin for the hospital medicine physician. We we don't have to have those every day for there to be life and vitality to what we're doing. Sam, I'd be curious in your kind of time coaching clinicians and interacting with them. Does this idea resonate with? You know, if you kind of interact with somebody who's kind of maybe had a bout with professionalism or being burned out, do you, do you feel like this idea resonates with your exposure to that? Yeah. As of right now, I don't think I've ever coached someone who's dealing with this tension between who they are and who they're wanting to be. I do hear you both talking about getting the hang of being a physician that it's really a difficult job. You're balancing the ideals of a clinician and the reality of it. And I'm not necessarily sure if the solution is to lower the ideals. I think it's about living within the tension between helping to heal people, right? That's what a clinician does. Help, you know, to heal or to practice medicine. You know, an economist, you know, creates wealth, um, you know, an archer hits an arrow or hits a bullseye. There's these things that we shoot for, but we ourselves fall short. And, you know, getting the hang of being a human. Because with, you know, Sam Peters, I aim to be someone different than I am right now. I fall short every day. 
and it hurts. And I have to live with that. But I'm getting the hang of it. And that's the point where among humans is there a human. There's this tension between everyone puts themselves out to be a human, but is there really a human? Is there one who lives up to the ideals of being a human? And um, maybe we could chase that question, but it's the idea that let's talk about getting the hang of being a clinician. And one thing I'm, I'm curious about with you two is looking at the trends within healthcare. Is it likely that the gap's going to close, you know, get closer to where you're going to actually become the clinician you're wanting to be? Or do you see different barriers on the horizon that it's, you know, more EMRs or whatever takes you away from your clinician work? Are those going to increase or are those going to decrease? Either of you can take that question. Well, I, I may have more more perspective in it because I actually uh, started when we didn't have EMRs or EMRs. I was a I was a tech in the ED, and so I was the only, maybe the only person who was engaged with the EMR, actually taking the orders and putting them into the the computerized system at that point in time. And the doctors just did everything on paper. Um, and so it has certainly evolved, but it, it's, I, at some point in time, we're going to peak the heel of more and more requirement, uh, on the input side from the clinician. And we're going to get more and more output from the EMR to the clinician. Um, and you know, there's a few things that, that have started to turn that way. So I, 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 th- I have optimism that, the EMR will begin to be um, an aid. We already see it whenever you try and have a downtime. We cannot function anymore in medicine. So it's uh, some of that's maybe some some learned behavior, learned um, uh, reliance on this this system. But I do think, um, again, it's a human that we're trying to interact with. Um, in a in a human way, there's there's a reason that Dr. Google is pretty bad at what Dr. Google does because Dr. Google cannot empathize with another human being. It can just say, "Oh, you said you got a cough and a back pain, and um, you know you, you're having trouble breathing. Oh, you're about to die." That's all Dr. Google can do. But but I, as a human being, can take what the EMR can give me, and I can translate that into a human voice and empathize with another human being and help them to understand what is going on and give them some peace and comfort. And when you, when you live in that moment of taking someone from, from a significant level of fear and apprehension and you can remove that, I tell you that that's, that's pretty gratifying. Um, uh, and, and I think at the root of what we wanted to do, that's what we want to do. And so I think the EMR can start to help us to process all of this hugely cumbersome and an enormous amount of science that's out there and help us to encapsulate it more and more and more into something that's then digestible and, and deliverable to another human being. And so I, I think that it's going to help us to become better at being a human interacting with another human 
um, in the long term? Is that tomorrow? Probably not. Is that um, 20 years from now? I hope it's sooner. Yeah, and I, I mean, I almost wonder, again, I would say that I'm probably an optimist on the scale of optimist to pessimist, but I do think that the EMR, there's always, as long as we exist in this fee-for-service economy of diagnosis, you're going to have to use the EMR in such a way that allows you allows everybody to pay their bills to some extent or another. But I think is what could happen is I do think there's a way to reimagine how you could use the EMR to be the physician that you've always wanted to be. And I think that at, uh, at Relias right now, we're currently in the background working on a patient and family experience for the clinicians out there. Uh, stay tuned. I think you'll really enjoy some of the content we have coming. Uh, but for those of you who are not going to be taking the course, um, one of the things that we're talking about is this idea of narrative medicine. What does it actually look like to understand that the patient that you're caring for has a story and is a person and has a life that is far more interesting than their medical problems that have brought them to the emergency department or to the hospital. And I think that using the tools that we have now and using them to engage a patient's story, I think is a way for us to all be the physicians that we've always aspired to be. And that is helping people in our community and serving them in ways that medicine gives us an unbelievable front row seat to be able to do. And so one of the things that, you know, we were probably going to get to this in a bit, but one of the paths forward, I think, is to almost use the EMR as a storytelling mechanism. And that doesn't have to be, uh, you know, start typing the biography of your patient in room four. I think that's more of um, that the, you know, 86-year-old with colon cancer who's coming in with a bowel obstruction is really a grandfather uh, whose daughter just got diagnosed with breast cancer and he's really struggling. The way that you engage with that patient is radically different. You're going to type in the same orders in the EMR. You're going to write the same note. You're going to call the same consults. You're going to admit the patient. You're probably going to put an NG tube in him, probably CT his abdomen, whatever. Like, I mean, you're still going to do the same stuff, but the way that you engage with him knowing his story is radically different. And that engagement then allows you to maybe be the physician that you've always wanted to be, even though the work is the same. And so I think it's kind of this, um, we can use the tools that we have, no matter how the cynic labels them as cumbersome, to better tell the stories of the people that we're engaging with. Is that not so much about being in the moment of what it is that is going on and having a, 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 a greater perspective on the work that we're doing? It's, it's not uh, my equivalent of chemical engineer work of turning, you know, a 22 chain carbon molecule into a bunch of four chain carbon molecules, but it's in the fact that those four chain carbon molecules go and do something great. It is not that I'm working in a cumbersome EMR. It is that I am relieving the pain and suffering of another human being. Right. And it's just that and it's just that little bit of perspective, which is why I feel like that this ironic moment <clears throat> paradigm is helpful because it doesn't um, it forces you to reckon like what like what am I what am I trying to aspire to be and what's keeping me from doing that? Because there are ways to move towards that despite the current, no matter how tired you are, no matter what your schedule is, no matter how much debt you have, no matter what, you can still move towards what you've always aspired to be with that perspective change. 
Um, and, uh, and sometimes that can come from the outside, but often it has to come from yourself, right? Like I can't, I can't go to a hospitalist who's working this weekend and say, you know, if you really spent three more minutes with your patient and just asked them about their grandkids that you would actually enjoy your job more. I could tell them that and maybe one in 10 would listen. Um, but I think it's, that it has to come from the individual has got to acknowledge that part of my frustration is that I thought I was going to be taking care of people, but I feel like I'm just documenting and that you can, you can actually flip that on its head and your work is the exact same. That perspective, I think to your point, Joe, is, is, is critical. And this like <clears throat> ironic moment, just to define it again and make sure that I understand what you mean by ironic moment. It's kind of like a midlife crisis. It's when you realize, yeah, yeah, yeah. Midlife crisis is where you you realize, you know, what, who am I? What have I been? What have I been up to these last twenty years? Who is it that I actually want to be? And when a clinician comes to this ironic moment, they say, "Wait a second, maybe they're in a dark room reading radiology charts, whatever." Wait, what am I doing? Really, what am I doing? I wanted to be a clinician. And it's that ironic moment when you realize, wait, there's a difference between what I'm doing right now and what a clinician does. That's, it can paralyze you. It can make, you know, you don't really understand where you're at and, and what really a clinician is supposed to be. But in a way, it's going to help you reassess what exactly are you wanting to do. And um, you can get through it. I think the one thing that we want to talk about just during this episode is the difficulty of it and the difficulty of living within that gap. Um, so you talked about using the EMRs as a tool to take care of patients. Dr. Johnson, can you think of a, a way that we can redeem, you know, that's redeeming EMRs. Is there another maybe practical way where you could tell someone who is just graduating or getting out of a fellowship, what, What's a practical tip with living with living in the gap between putting yourself out there as a clinician and living up to what it means to be a clinician? Again, I think the, the to to me a big thing is is identifying what is a success and making sure that those things are reasonable. Um, you know, I, I, I'm you're you're not going to uh, heal every single patient but you can impact everyone. Um, it may not be the impact of the, of the way that you idealized in your mind or the way, you know, house would figure it out, but you can still impact them. And if you can impact that patient, you can impact the care team. Um, and, and so I, I, th- I think, I think drawing those, um, those, those goals, in a more practical way, as opposed to I'm going to leave residency and I will be perfect. Uh, again, seeing it as a, a journey and not a destination, seeing it as um, the, the, the little wins that I get with each and every interaction, as opposed to I have to fix everything about this patient and about medicine in general and I have to do it right now. Um, I think that we set ourselves up for failure because we don't have a good perspective on what our goals ought to be. Um, and um, so I, that, that's what I would, I, would, I would want to tell 
uh, me, you know, whatever, 16, 17 years ago is you, you don't know it all uh, today and, and, and be okay with it, but don't be satisfied with it. Yeah, and it's this, um, both Hippocrates and, and um, Ozor get credited with this often quoted um, idea, but it is far more important for you to know your patient that has a disease than know the disease that your patient has. And I think that even that little, that order, the sequence in which you begin to engage each clinical encounter, one, it makes the patient and family experience far greater. Um, It also is going to make your daily experience, all the encounters, the 20 some odd encounters you're going to have in a day, it makes every single one of those much more meaningful. Um, And it only takes a few more minutes. That's what's amazing, or at least that I've found on days where I kind of start to slog or I kind of, um, I kind of get comfortable in the gap, (laughs) um, where I, you know, I kind of start to say, you know what, like I'm kind of frustrated today. Um, it's kind of been a long week, you know, kids have been up all night being sick, whatever. And I, and I start to, you know, treat the patients as, ah, here's the pneumonia or here's the cellulitis or here's the, you know. And like, I forget that's like, no, like that's like the widow and that's the grandfather and that's the former Vietnam vet and that's the little league baseball coach. Like that's when I can pivot in a day and start to realize like, man, that just took a few extra minutes. I might argue that it would take less. I might argue that when I uh, see people in that way, one, it's easier to remember what it is that I'm trying to do there. Um, and two, I'll probably be a lot more enthusiastic about getting to the next patient as opposed to seeing it as another obstacle that I must complete. It is another interaction that I want to have. Um, and and you may be able to get into that state of flow, which I think is... Um, is 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 something I love on a on an EM shift is when I'm really busy, but I'm busy with these interactions that that move me along. And what do I wind up finding is that what maybe sometimes feels like the clock's never moving. Actually, when I get into that state of having those kinds of winning interactions each time and and I'm talking about me winning in that interaction. I, I sure hope it helps the patient out, but then you look up and the, the clock has moved so fast. You can't believe that, um, now it's time to go home, uh, again. So I, I almost think that, uh, while we might put the stopwatch on it and it might take you more time to do that, I, I, I almost think we become so much more efficient when we're having those kinds of interactions that overall, the day actually takes less time. Yeah. And what would it even look like to reimagine my daily work to where that's the priority? You're probably right. You actually might be more efficient as opposed to, well, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to template my notes exactly how I want them. And I'm going to spend all my off time really working on, you know, EMR optimization, uh, But really is what I should do is I should say, you know what? I'm going to learn everybody's hobby today. That's it. Tell me what you do on a random Saturday when you're not working. 
that that actually might make you more efficient and might make you, even if it's a long shift with a bad outcome and some difficult patients that are, you know, hard to please, it actually might make that shift the best shift of the whole month purely just by saying, I'm going to take 10 seconds of patient and ask one question. It'll sure make the patients more memorable. And how much time do you spend when you're when you're not in that state, just trying to jog your memory again? What is it that's going on with them? What what is there? But if I know them, you know, as you said, then the EMR is just a place to tell a little bit of a story. Right, and this kind of reorientation for um, my patients have a story and not a chief complaint. And that's what we're taught to do in medical school, hilariously enough, is like, go get the story. Um, And that so quickly evaporates into a history of present illness. It's like, no, like, what's what's the story? Um, And so maybe one way to exist in the gap that I wish I would have known earlier is, um, I think a lot of people feel this way. They just don't know how what to name it and what to call it. Um, but I think that this idea of just being a storyteller is one way that to very easily continue to be the clinician you've always wanted to be. As a coach, one thing they taught us is coach the person, not the problem. I wonder if it goes with that way with clinicians as well. Heal the person and not the problem. Um, get to know the person. And uh, so today we've talked about it's not easy to be a clinician. Uh, it's, it's something to get a grip on. And three practical ways, I think if I remember these right, three practical ways to exist within the gap between putting yourself out there as a clinician and actually living up to what a clinician aspires to be is one, use the EMR as a record of a story. Uh, Dr. Johnson, you, you talked about focusing on uh, the narrative, focusing on those people you can impact every day. Focus on that. And then Dr. Abraham, you just mentioned, um, a- ask about the person uh, first. What, what did you say? Uh, ask the story, not the chief complaint. So those are three We're ways. We're storytellers, Sam. Yeah, yeah. That, that's That's how we can exist within this gap. And, um, again, this applies everywhere in life, you know, as a husband, as a wife, as a son, am I, you know, I know what a son is supposed to be, but Sam Peters is not that person. And I want to be, um, we have to kind of balance that. Well, thank you for listening. We, uh, we appreciate you, uh, listening to this more philosophical discussion, Um, if you enjoyed it, please give us a five-star review that will help us and that will help us, uh, spread the ideas that we're trying to, uh, to uh, talk about and that are helpful to clinicians and their well-being. Um, if you ever have an idea of something that you would like us to talk about, shoot me an email, give me a call, and I'll definitely work it in until next time. Be well.